You're listening to Listening to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. Uh, my name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. As always, we are supported in part by our listeners at patreon.com slash books and boba. So feel free to head over there if you want to support our show and gain access to our members only Discord server as well as monthly bonus episodes. For this episode of Books and Boba, we have an author chat for you with Tian Pham the author and illustrator of Family Style, Memories of an American from Vietnam, which is Tian's graphic memoir about his life growing up in America as a Vietnamese refugee. Um, It starts off with his experience escaping the country on a boat um, to a refugee camp in Thailand before settling down and growing up in America. And as the title suggests, the chapters revolve around specific dishes and tastes that he remembers um, that that trigger specific memories. Um, Tian was a former illustrated for um, Eater SF. So he's very experienced in drawing food. And there's a lot of really great food stuff in this book as well. Yeah. So uh, don't read this book while you're hungry because (laughs) you will be hungering for some pretty, pretty yummy Vietnamese uh, food. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We had a great chat with Tin about his background as an artist and how he was part of like one of the OG cohorts um, in the realm of Asian American graphic novel artists that includes um, Jing Luen Yang, who also has a cameo in this book as well. So, um, yeah, please enjoy our conversation with Tian Fan. here with Tian Fam, the author and illustrator of graphic novel Sumo, as well as his latest graphic memoir, Family Style. Welcome to the show, Tian. Thank you so much. Um, uh, Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to y'all. Yeah, um, we always love to open up our our author chats. Um, I always say it's a little basic, but I do want to know how you became a graphic artist, uh, graphic novelist, comic book artist, because, you know, I'm of the generation still that like, it's amazing that I see people my age doing like cool, creative stuff. And I really want to know what yeah. your story is. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I've always loved comics um, because, you know, when I came here to America, uh, my, we were latchkey kids at like kindergarten, you know, like we were. Um, and so our, our, my parents would leave us and basically all we had to basically raise us was um, TV you know, so um, we watched so, so much, so many cartoons and, and stuff like that when I was a kid. And I've always loved like superheroes. And I but I never had a really I, I never read really well. I was never able to read very well um, because English was our second language. Um, and so we watched a lot of TV and it wasn't until fourth grade when I discovered my first comic book. Um, I was at 7-Eleven and saw this uh, awesome uh, Marvel team up comic with Spider-Man and Moon Knight. And I, I, I'd i already loved Spider-Man because of this TV show called um, 321 Contact that was on uh, on PBS. Mm-hmm. And it was like a, it's like a math programming, but they had Spider-Man on it. So I was like already obsessed with Spider-Man. I picked up this comic. And as I was reading, I realized that like, I was actually able to read the comic because 
of the juxtaposition of the words and pictures, you know, and um, that blew my mind. And uh, by by starting to read comics, I started to understand how to read. I started to understand English better, um, and it it like jumped me into like just the world of of reading in general. And so I got really obsessed with comics. I read comics all the time. I um, I I watched cartoons and I drew pictures. And I've just been doing it ever since I was in fourth grade. I remember in fourth grade was when I first drew my first comic. It was called Space Dogs. <laughs> and I remember um, drawing it on just like typewriting paper. And then uh, we would, I made my mom take it to work and Xerox it. And then I stapled it together, I stapled it together and try to sell it to um, my, um, uh, try to sell it to uh, my, my friends at school. And what's funny about that is that, like, after I uh, I graduated from college, I wanted to write comics. But at the same time, I was, like, um, also self-producing my comics. No one was publishing the type of comics we were drawing. So we made these things called um, mini-comics, which are basically zines. So we would uh, draw comics. We would uh, go to Kinko's. We would print it out. And then we would um, staple them together and sell them ourselves. And through that, I met a group of friends that all did the same thing. And, um, and so we, for a long time, were just doing it together, just like drawing comics together, stapling it together, selling them together. And that group of friends included like Gene Yang, um, Jason Shiga, uh, Derek Kirk Kim, um, and Lark Pian, who are all graphic novelists now, even like Raina Taglemeyer was part of our crew. And we would just be drawing comics and trying to sell them at conventions and stores and stuff like that. And then one day, you know, like the New York comic, uh, the, the New York publishers just decided that comics was cool. I think it was because of <laughs> Persepolis. And they mm. were just publishing everybody. And, um, and they were just kind of constantly wanting new uh, uh, comics and new books. So they started publishing some of the, um, so some of our books that we were like self-producing. So like, for example, like American Board Chinese, this book that is like so uh, famous and important now, I actually have a little hand-stapled, hand-printed version of that book, you know? Oh my and, God, that's um, so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, same with like Smile and stuff like that. So as soon as one of our friends got um, published, uh, we all just kind of like pulled each other up, you know? And so now we're all like making books our, our, our own. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's such a such a cool story of like you guys just pursuing your passions and just hitting like, I guess, hitting the right time frame, right? Getting like you were in the right position to like get, get brought up. Yeah, I think that's exactly. kind of the story of how Asian stories in general have been you know, accepted by like mainstream or the industry. It's just like when, when the time is right, you have to have people in the right position and people yeah, exactly. ready to like have stuff. And like, it's really cool that you guys persevered and were able to, you know. It's neat that, it's neat that you brought it up and said it in that way because I think that's also kind of similar to how like my family came to America. Like we'll talk a little bit more about, about my family style, but like, you know, a lot of the things that's happened in my life it had to like, have to be such a like almost like a universal like everything coming together at the right perfect time for it to happen you know and and it's uh it's been like that for me for uh, for a lot of the things that I do in my life yeah i love i also love how you brought up 
how when you were younger, it, it was hard for you to read and comics was the way uh, you got into reading. And uh, as someone who used to work at a bookstore, uh, it's it's so nice to see kids have more options now. They they have like all these different graphic novels from like fantasy to superheroes to memoirs and to uh, to historical fantasy. And I feel like children's literature has a lot to owe to the comics community because I feel like they're the ones who made reading cool for the younger <laughs> generation. <laughs> well, like when, when for our, for my generation, when we were younger, comics was, uh, we love comics, but um, the schools and um, libraries and stuff like at that time did not really respect the medium of comics. They, uh, you were discouraged to reading comics, you know, like, because they wanted you to read like, you know, these chapter books that had like was uh, were about all these different things, but like reading about superheroes and and stuff like that, which were the only type of comics you had at the time uh, was pretty discouraged. And even when I went to art school in like in, um, you know, the two, uh, early 2000s, uh, drawing comics was also very dis- discouraged, you know, like they wanted you to draw like the masters or like illustrators, but they didn't really, comics was not a, a medium that people really respected. And I feel like, um feel like now, now it's completely different. You know, we have comics of all kinds now. I couldn't, I can't imagine uh, when I was younger, going to a bookstore and seeing comics about food and comics about like sports and comics about, um, you know, just comics about relationships and comics about just so many different graphic novels about almost any different kind. And that's just, then, then you, you, you bring like manga into it and it's like, you could, you can get a graphic novel of any kind. And me as a reluctant reader, when I was a kid, that would have been like that. It would have been my dream, you know, like just to be able to, to do that. And uh, so I'm really happy that, that, that kids now or young adults now have that option, you know? Yeah. It reminds me of like, I read a lot of manga growing up too, but it was during a time when there weren't a lot of works translated in English. So I had to read them in yeah. Chinese. I had to get them from the Chinese oh, bookstore. Yeah. And so it was a way for me to work on my like Chinese liter, liter like my Chinese um, yeah, literacy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was also thinking like, you remind you're, you just remind me of like my first graphic novel, which was a graphic novelization of Jules Verne's like Journey to the Center of the Earth, which I had when oh, I was a yeah. little kid, and I didn't realize I just realized now how progressive that must have been to have like a comic book version of like this. This is it's still the only I've never read any Jules Verne. I've only read his work adapted in the comics. But yeah, it did yeah. work. <laughs> I, that's awesome because I remember there used to be when I was really into comics. There used to be a a, a comic series called Classics Collected or <laughs> Classics Illustrated, and it would be um, classic novels that had been adapted into comic form. And I remember using a few of those uh, for book reports <laughs> uh, <laughs> in school. You know, like you didn't really want to read that this entire. Uh, book, but you know, I, I definitely remember that comic that you yeah. that, that that comic that you were talking about. It's great. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, Gene Yang earlier as like part of your uh, original comics uh, group. And oh, yeah, your shirt, your shirt has <laughs> Gene on it. Um, I mean, our listeners can't uh, can't see it. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Listening, but um, but I also heard that you guys taught at the same school. You guys are both educators. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was funny because I met Gene, you know, in that group of us that all do comics. And I, when I met Gene, um, I was right out of college. I was full of hubris, uh, hubris, and I was like, I really just was kind of just a, a, a unsufferable, insufferable. I was like kind of stuck up and everything, but um, he really like seeing him really like humbled me because I really thought I was this amazing cartoonist just coming out of at, at, at you know like twenty uh, like at twenty five years old or whatever, and I looked at his stuff and I was like, oh okay, I got a lot to learn, <laughs> and I remember one time he was like, hey. Um, do you want to do you want to do a, have a teaching job? Because I teach at a high school. I'm a computer science teacher at this high school. Um, would you like to to that they have a computer arts uh, teacher job opening up? Do you want to do it? And again, I was just out of uh, art school, so I was like, oh, okay, I'll do this job. But then as soon as my art career takes off, I'm you know I'm just gonna do it just for for the money. And then uh, and then I started doing it. And oh my God, I fell in love with this job. Like it is such an amazing, like teaching. Um, I think I just was made for teaching high school. I didn't know it at the time, but I was made for it. I I loved it so much. I love interacting with the students. I love teaching. I love like the ideas and I love the the community of, of, of people, teachers and and parents and and students and stuff. And I just, just fell in love with that job. And after that year, I, I was like, this is it. This is my career. You know, like I, I, I still want to do art on the side and all that stuff, but really my career is going to be teaching. And ever since then, um, I, I started teaching. And so me and Gene taught together for, um, I would say at least 15, 16 years. Um, and we would see each other every day. Uh, and that's one of uh, also great because that was so fundamental. Like every day, me and Gene would just spend our um, our off periods talking about comics, um, and and uh, and uh, we would uh, we actually did a comic together while working together as well. Um, we did this comic called Level Up, uh, which also came out from First Second. It's an amazing book, but we did it together uh, as we were working, um, and it was like. It was such a weird experience because like if you usually work uh, freelance uh, drawing comics with someone, um, you can like be like when they ask you, hey, uh, did you finish that page? Um, you can be like, oh, yeah, of course I finished it. And then just be like, oh, I didn't finish it. And then, <laughs> but because me, but me and Gene had to see each other every day, I couldn't escape him. He would just be like, Tim, did you finish that page? And I'd be like, yes. And he's like, can I see it? And I'm like, oh. No. Um, so they're working together. Like it was weird because we were working together as colleagues uh, as teaching. And then we were also working together as colleagues in like making one book together. So it was such a weird time. But uh, yeah, my, my, my time working with Gene was great. But, um, but I'm still a teacher now. And uh, I, I just love the, the, the position. I love that job. <laughs> I just realized that. Gene makes a cameo in your book. I didn't realize that was him. Yeah. In the, oh my the gosh, Marvin! <laughs> yeah, he also I I, I make a, a cameo in his book as well, and uh, it's the same people because he Gene did, did an amazing book called Dragon Hoops, uh, which is a story of um of uh, that that high school that we teach at um uh, the basketball team at that high school, and in that that comic uh, I I make an appearance, and so does my friend Brianna. And our friend Annette, and uh, to kind of pay him back, I took all those people and I put them in my book as well. 
<laughs> and uh, and uh, and and I, I and and so our editors call it the first second extended universe. <laughs> oh my we gosh, keep I this, love it. <laughs> we keep having each other in our books, and so that's what I want to do. I want to co- constantly just put. I, I'm. I think my goal is to put Gene in all my books from now on. <laughs> yeah, it's a good goal. Uh, he is an icon. Um, <laughs> So I know that um, in between like writing graphic novels and also like teaching, you did freelance work for uh, magazines and like eating um, eatery publications. So uh-huh. food has always been like your thing in, yeah, you know, in creating. I love eating. I've always loved eating so much, but I never really got into eating until uh, my adult life when um my uh, my girlfriend at the time, and now my then she became my ex wife, the wife, and then ex wife. But uh, we're really close. Her name is Lark Pian, and she's uh, we're still really good friends. But she took me to a restaurant, and uh, like like for up until then, like my favorite place, I like I was like I thought I was a fancy food eater, but like you know the fanciest place I've been to were like was like Chili's, you know. Um, but she took me to like uh, a really a a fine dining restaurant. And I was like, oh my gosh. I just had never understood the power of food until then. And then I realized how much food meant to me. And uh, and then I, I uh, when I had the opportunity, um, there was this magazine called East Bay Express. And it was like a, a weekly magazine uh, that, that was published in Oakland. Uh, I talked to an editor there and he was like, do you have any ideas for a a weekly comic strip? And I said, "Um, I do. I have an idea. How about a a comic strip where you pay me to go eat places and then I'll write about it and I'll draw a comic strip about it. And he's like, all right, let's do it. So (laughs) for a long time, for I would say about uh, like like at least 10 years, I, I did a comic strip called I Like Eating. Um, and it's uh, it's basically a, a a six panel comic strip. I would go to a restaurant and I would like I'm going to put this in quotes. Review it because <laughs> I you know I don't really know that much about food, so my reviews were just like I like the cheese. It's good, <laughs> you know, that kind, of, that kind of review. Um, but I, I, and and so since then, you know, I, I've uh, I've always kind of been involved in uh, in restaurants and foods and. Um, through that, I've met like uh, my friend uh, Luke, who's an editor at uh, he was an editor at East Bay Express, and then he was the food editor for Eater SF, and he was the food editor now for KQED. And I've basically just uh, worked with him in doing lots of different um, uh, kind of comics about food and about our relationship to food, and it's specifically like um, immigrants and ethnic foods. Um, one of the favorite things that we've done, uh, you know, is um, we've we've done things where we would go to an enclave, basically an area in um, in California or in the Bay Area that is um, has a lot of a certain ethnic food. Like say this uh, Sunnyvale, there's there's a huge area that has tons of amazing Korean food, or in uh, in San Jose, there's a, a there's a place that has a lot of Afghani restaurants. And what we would do is we would just eat like at like eight or nine places in one day. And we would just eat at so many <laughs> different places. And then we would like I would draw a comic about it. And uh, 
or Luke would write about it. And so uh, it, it, eating and, and food and stuff like that has always been a huge part of my life and, and my work. So it was, it was neat to be able to marry the two uh, into this graphic novel. Yeah. Um, food definitely plays a lot, a big part in your graphic novel. They're actually the, you know, the themes that you base your chapters around. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, what led you to want to write a graphic memoir about your, your life in America? I've always wanted to do this story because it is really like, if you asked me, like, what is the most significant thing that's happened to me now? This is this story is the most significant thing. And my friend Jean has always said, you got to do this story. It's such an interesting story. Um, you, you have to do it. But I, and I just couldn't do it. I tried so many times um, ever since I was uh, probably, um, you know, for, for about 10, 15 years, I would try this comic and then I would stop and I would try it and I would stop because I couldn't really get like a foothold on it. You know, like I just couldn't get it. I just couldn't get it. Um, and I didn't understand why. And then um, during the pandemic, uh, I had to, uh, I visited my mom a lot. I, I, uh, every day I would, uh, every week I would go and visit my parents just to make sure they were okay. And then we finally got a chance to like talk. And um, I asked my parents, I said, hey, now that I have, now that we're talking every week, can you tell me the story of when we came to America? Um, because even though I know a little bit of it, I didn't really know the full story. And the, the little that I knew was just from bits and pieces from different people. Uh, and my parents never talked to me about it. And, and even if, when they did, they would always pretty much sugarcoat it because, you know, Asian parents are always trying to protect their kids. You know, they're not going to tell us about all the hardships and stuff like that. You know, it's kind of like their burden to endure. Um, so finally, I think because, you know, because we had to, we were, we're, you're stuck there talking to each other. And I think because I'm old enough and they were at that, their point in their life that I think they felt like it was time to like be able to be, to tell me everything. And so they, they told me the story and I was like, I was just floored. I was like, you know, like, um, I would be sitting there looking at them they would be telling me this story, this like kind of harrowing journey of of us coming to America and what they did and all the sacrifices they've made. And I was just like so moved and as if it wasn't even my life. You know what I mean? As if they're telling a story about someone else's life. And uh, I felt like, like, so like, I also felt like so ungrateful at the time. Like, cause like I, you know, sometimes, you know, you're a kid. So sometimes you're a jerk. And you're just like, my parents have done so much for me. You know, like, like you had, you got that feeling. I was just so moved. And um, I remember like, I was like, I got to write this story. And, uh, and, but I still didn't really have a foothold to it. I like, I didn't really, because I know that there have already been a lot of enemies, uh, diaspora stories. So I wasn't like, what is mine going to add to any of it? You know, until my, my mom finally one day, she said, okay, Tell me what you remembered. My mom asked me what I remembered about the trip. And I told her and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember the time that we were on the boat and you gave me a rice ball. And it was like, oh, yeah. And then I remember when we came to America and I had that potato chip. For, and then I realized <laughs> it clicked in my head. I realized that every memory I have of my childhood was 
tied to food. <laughs> you know, like it was all memories from like, I ate this meal, so now I remember this. And that's when it clicked like, oh, this is my path. This is my way. This is how I tell my story. I tell it through my love of food and my memories of food and how um, that ties into my family. And, um, and as soon as I figured that out, I went home that day. I remember going home that day then starting to draw it. I didn't even write it. I just drew it. I drew one panel at a time. And every time I, I had six panels, I put it on Instagram. And I was just drawing, like, just like, it just came out of me. Like, there's no writing. So, like, so like there's no script anywhere. So, if someone asked me what the script was, well, I, there's no script. I was just drawing it, like, as it was coming out of my head. And I think there's only a few times in my life, I think, that when this happens and when it will ever happen is where, like, a um, story will just pour out of you. Um, and this was one of those cases, you know, like, like it was just something that, Felt like I had to do. And I had no publisher at the time. And I honestly didn't have any plans for it to be published or for anyone to really see it. I just, it was, it felt like when I was younger and doing those stapled comics, like I just felt like I had to do it. Even if no one looked at it, I had to do it. So yeah, I did it. Um, and I did it for a while. And then slowly people were like uh, reading it and liking it. And um yeah, and then my uh, my publisher asked me if uh, I wanted to publish it, and I said yes, I do want to publish this. So, um, so that that's how that that's how it came all together. And I think you know, like there are a few instant, there are gonna be a few times in my life where I do something that that I'm just gonna think I think myself is perfect, and I really think this is my 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 perfect story, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love and hate that you said that there are so many other Vietnamese American stories out there because I still feel like it feels like a lot because there's more than like one, but there still mm -hmm. aren't enough. Like still a drop in the bucket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm glad that you were able yeah. to get over that and like get this out there. Yeah. I mean, I think your um, graphic memoir, it contributes by writing from a kid's perspective. Like I, mm. I feel like with a lot of like refugee stories, it can be very grim and traumatic and, you know, mm. it can border on uh, trauma porn uh, when it's written yeah. for a white audience, a non uh, non Asian audience. And I just feel like even though there were a lot of tough topics in family style, um, like there was so much humor to it and there was so much joy and uh, I don't know, there was just like an innocence to it. And it's mainly because it was written from like a young boy's perspective. So I think that's what you're contributing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the, the other thing um, I realized when I was drawing this was I was like, the other thing that I really want to do with this one is I wanted to um, put the joy in it. Because I asked my dad earlier when we were having our conversations about um, about our our journey, um, I asked my dad about uh, the refugee camp, and I remember asking him like, "Was that the hardest time of your life? Was like being in the refugee camp tough for us?" And he was like, "No, not at all." He said he remembers the refugee camps, even though we were living in squalor and like these shacks and had no electricity and like we had no money and like oh, very few resources. He says he remembers that time as like just filled with joy. And he said it was filled with, like he said it was like, we, you just, we were in this place 
with all people that came from our country. We all had the same goal was to find find our family a better life. And the, the great thing with that, that refugee camp, even though it was um, was you know like didn't have very many resources and stuff like that, was that everybody there had hope because everybody there was in a position where hopefully one day their name will be called. They can go to America and then make or, or whatever country that they were going to go to and make a better life for themselves and their family. And so that hope was like made everybody in the, the refugee camp very joyful. You know, they and, and, and he said that that's some of the best times of his life. And he still like um, keeps in touch with the people that were on the refugee camp with us. And they still have reunions the same way high school people have reunions. Um, and I just thought that was so great. And, and I remember those times as also being very joyful as like time of playing and, and, and coming up with games to play with and, and all that kind of stuff. So I really wanted to go out of my way to not make it seem like super bleak. <laughs> like I didn't, want it, I didn't want people to be like, feel sorry for us or whatnot. In fact, I wanted the story to feel like the story of like triumphant and like um, I wanted to feel like, um, you know, uh, that that we were very fortunate to be in, in the positions that we're in. So that was one of the things I really wanted to inject in it, you know? Yeah. Something that a theme that occurs again and again in your story is the the kindness of strangers, right? People who have no personal relationship to you, but to help you nonetheless. And that includes like the character uh, or the guy, uh, Russ, who I guess, was he your sponsor? Was, was he the guy that brought you to the States? So, so it, it was interesting because um, so one of the reasons that we were we felt like we were able to go to the United States was because my aunt, um, my mom's sister um, had come to America. Um, like previously um, on a student visa. So she was already in America and she was studying at the University of Michigan with a student visa. And while she was studying at the University of Michigan, she met uh, and fell, uh, and, and she married um, an American person named Russ. And so um, when we came to America, they sponsored us to come to America or when they came to the refugee camp, they sponsored us to the refugee camp. And Russ, uh, when it was time for us to to come to America, my aunt was still in Michigan, uh, finishing up her graduate degree, and Russ uh, was in San Jose um, uh, working at uh, at Lockheed, and he actually was the one to take care of us when we first came. So Russ is my uncle, um, mm-hmm. but he's an American, and we had never met him before, and he, you know, like he was an integral part of my life, not just in that 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 time but later on in life um russ would always be there he was the one he would he gave me a huge box of comics when i was just getting into comics um when i was uh, having a hard time uh getting around i just like bought me a bike um so yeah i think one of my favorite things about how we came or my story is the uh, building of communities you know, and it's still one of the things in my life that I am constantly trying to seek out is community, right? Like everywhere I go, I'm like, whether I, I, I'm being a high school teacher or being an artist, I found myself always wanting a group of people, a community of people around to not only um, to, to just be there with me. Um, so when I found my community of friends um, doing graphic novels, 
or comics. Uh, I found when I went to teach at high school, I found I have a community of friends in high school that like really helps us. We have lunch together and and really help us get through the day. Um, so I've always loved community, and part of that is because when we came to America, we had these communities of people that were always helping each other out. And I find that that is like one of the most important things in my life. Yeah, one of my favorite characters in uh, your graphic memoir is Tuan, your <laughs> friend from the refugee camp, who also ends up in San Jose. And yes, uh, like it was just like so sweet for me as a reader to see like you know there's uh, a moment in your in your book where you're eating at the cafeteria and you're like Salisbury steak, what is this? <laughs> like <laughs> does not look appetizing, and it's like why are they calling me Tin instead of my actual name? So these are classic uh immigrant uh experiences when they when they come to america and um it's kind of it's kind of a culture shock but you had someone there who yeah. just took things as as they came and was just like so optimistic about it and i was like wow you were so fortunate you were so <laughs> lucky because so many asian kids who uh kind of gone through the same experience at schools they were alone and uh, they kind of had to, like, take that burden onto themselves. And it was just so wonderful to see, uh, see like, this community, like you, like you said, this community yeah. of other refugee kids who, you know, have made things easier and more welcoming for the kids who come after. Yeah, I, I just, that's the thing I love about community is, you know, Tuan... Help, like he was always one step be ahead of me. You know, like he got to, he was at the refugee camp first. So he helped me get acclimated to the refugee camp. And then when I came to America, he had been there already to help me get acclimated school. And, you know, I in turn did that to kids when I met new kids that came to the school. You know, I, I would help them get acclimated. And it's just like my the other character that's in um, my book, um, uh, my uh, young Yun, who is uh, our family friend, and he, I remember talking to him after I was making the book, and I, I, I had dinner with him, and I asked him about this, like, why were you so helpful to us? Why were you, like, you when he went out of his way to help this new Vietnamese family get acquainted with America, you know, and I asked him how come, and he said, well, because there was another person that did that for me, you know, when I came over. So that's the part of community that I love so much is that people are constantly helping. And then once you help, you you pass it on and, and, and it just this community just grows and grows and grows because everyone is trying to help each other. And it's the same with our my um, my graphic novel comic book community. You know, it's, when 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 Derek got uh, published. He helped Gene to get published. And when Gene got published, he helped me to get published. And it's just like us, just a cycle of people helping each other. And um, and it just grows and grows. And I just, that's, that's the part of community that I just love, you know. So I wanted to ask you, like, how has your relationship with Vietnamese food changed as you've gotten older? Because oh, now, yeah, now like Asian food is considered <laughs> cool, you know, but that yeah, yeah, was yeah, not yeah. the case back then. I, yeah, my, my relationship with Vietnamese food is is so interesting because I had this whole thing where like all my life I was eating Vietnamese food. You know, I uh, my, my fa family always took us to Vietnamese food. And then there was a point in high school 
during high school and junior high or whatever when you were too cool, but you kind of rejected it and you were like, nah, I'd rather have a, a hamburger or, you know, I want to go to my friends to marry calendars and have fettuccine Alfredo or whatever. And, you know, you like kind of like, ah, Vietnamese food's not that. And then uh, I think probably college, after college, I'm like, uh, actually after college, when I, I became an adult, I said, Vietnamese food is all I want. <laughs> like, that's all I want to eat. You know, like, like, um, or just like Asian food in general is all I want to eat. And, and specifically my mom's food, you know, like I miss not just the food that my mom made for me, but the food my mom bought for me. You know, like <laughs> you just, I was telling some about, about how when we were hungry and my mom would be working two or three jobs, didn't have time to cook for us. And we didn't have very much money. My mom would just make us eggs and rice, right? And it would just be scrambled eggs on rice. And I, that is still probably one of my favorite dishes of all times. There can never be like a, a Michelin star restaurant that's going to be better than that eggs and rice that my mom makes, you know? And I can never replicate it. I've been trying <laughs> so hard to replicate my mom's eggs and I could never do it. I don't know why. And, um, but I, I love Indonesian food now. And, and now as an adult, I'm starting to cook myself as well. So I'm starting to ask my mom about all these recipes. And I was like, mom, how do you make it? She's like, oh, you know, you put this in and you put that in. I'm like, oh my God, this is not helping me at all. <laughs> um, uh, because it's like every recipe is just like a bunch of this and a bunch of that. Um, but now I really love Vietnamese food and I'm constantly seeking, and not just Vietnamese food, but kind of like just, I'm really into, um, uh, I'm less so into like fine, fancy dining as I am into uh, like really good, ethnic cooking, um, whether it be Vietnamese food or uh, Korean food or Indian food or um, or just I, I, I'm really into looking out for the, that like family type of food, you know, like uh, um, and uh, so that, that that's my relationship in terms of Vietnamese food. I'm always looking out for uh, really amazing Vietnamese food that like reminds me of my mom. It reminds me of home. The other thing about the now now that you were you're saying that, that I think is great is that now that that Vietnamese food and and Asian food in general is so cool now, I find myself getting really um, mad sometimes <laughs> that like you go somewhere and they'll have like a bun mi, but it's like they'll call it like you know it's like some type of like Swiss chard bun mi with with whatever and you're like oh this is. So many people, you know, like you're just like yeah. so, so like, like, oh, like you just get so angry, and it's also like twenty three dollars, and you're like twenty three dollars. Oh. You know, you get so you get so upset because you remember, you know, getting but me when you were kids for a dollar seventy five, and and you and it just be scattered on the kitchen table for whoever to take. Um, but I have to really rein myself in, and I, as I'm growing older, I'm reconciling myself with that feeling of like Vietnamese food has to be a certain price and it should it has to be a certain type. Um, I'm really starting to understand that like, you know, you can take the essence of Vietnamese food and, and do a bunch of different things with it. And, and who says it should be cheaper than a certain price? You know, one of the things that my friend Luke really taught me was like, why are you complaining about the fact that this pho that you're eating is, um, you know, $20? 
because you think that that pho should always cost like 10. You know, like if you eat like a plate of pasta, it's essentially the same thing, but it costs way more than what pho costs. But no one complains about that, you know, but Vietnamese, us Vietnamese people are just so used to our food, not, you know, like being on this type of echelon that we get kind of upset that it costs more than like you say, you know, $15 for a bowl of pho, but maybe it should, you know, and maybe it, you know, like, and if it's done well and it's worth it and it tastes good, I, um, so now I'm starting to reconcile that type <laughs> of feeling that I have, the kind of gatekeeping feelings that I have about Vietnamese food and starting to kind of understand and enjoy it a little bit more. But yeah, I, I just have this weird wave of, of, of feelings yeah, <laughs> when you I, talk about Vietnamese food. I, I think feel like it's the very more expensive, relatable. Yeah, I feel like the more expensive Vietnamese food is always in like the the, the wider neighborhoods. So just <laughs> yeah. consider like a, you know, a reparations for colonization. That's how I should think <laughs> yeah, about I it. <laughs> well, yeah. also like, I feel, I feel like the, uh, I guess, Ang- misplaced anger is that a lot of the food that uh, we grew up eating it was it was considered peasant food and yeah, now yeah. like peasant food is like like top cuisine and you're like <laughs> exactly, what like exactly. when did that happen <laughs> I like it when they like take like street food and then they try to replicate it in a fancy way like you're like <laughs> this is just like a street food cart or whatever you're like no this doesn't like that but you know you yeah, know, I mean, how, it's, when I do get like that inspired by broken rice dish at the fancy restaurant, I'm like, mm, this reminds me of like growing yeah, up yeah, in yeah. San Diego. <laughs> well, like this is yeah, how yeah. I felt when the uh, what is it, the parasite like black bean noodles like yeah, became yes. in vogue, and I was like, what? This is instant noodles with just <laughs> sirloin, and it's, it's just like, why is it twenty five dollars? You can buy an entire pack of black bean noodles at like H Mart. Yeah, yeah, seven dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love, um, but but I, just so you know, I'm kind of guilty. I'm not. I don't know if I'm guilty of that. But when I saw that movie, I was like, "What is this?" <laughs> and uh, then I looked for the recipe online, and I found it. And I I, I went to H Mart, bought my noodles, and I made it. And I was like, "This is amazing! I cannot believe it <laughs> took a movie for me to 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 like get this this idea together. It's so good. It's like one of my favorite dishes now. It's like yeah. a go to comfort dish for me now." Parasite's yeah, the yeah. original it, TikTok hack for ramen. Oh yeah, original <laughs> yeah. TikTok hack, yeah. Um, so if you could add a, a chapter, a new dish to your book, what would it be like for current day food that you're eating? Oh, wow. Uh, so uh, that might that might be one of them, you know, like I have been, um, let me see. I, I would definitely, in terms of Vietnamese food, I've been really getting into um, bun sale, which is, mm-hmm. Uh, and this was something that my mom used to make when I was younger too, but I'm I'm really getting into it now. And it is basically a, a savory crepe, a Vietnamese savory crepe, and it's just like um, it's really crispy. And they fry it with uh, they they they'll, they'll make it with like bean sprouts and pork and shrimp, and then you kind of roll it up uh, in a lettuce a wrap, and then you uh, you dip it in fish sauce and you eat it. Maybe just lettuce wraps in general. That's my new thing. Like. <laughs> Like uh, and and again, it, it this is something that I I've seen through um, eating with uh, my friends who my Korean friends and eating at Korean restaurants. That's my jam. <laughs> like putting rice on a on a um, a, a nori, you know, on seaweed. Uh, then you get the 
I don't know why I never thought of it. It's so such an ingenious way of eating, where you take the rice and you put a, 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 a piece of meat on, then you put a little bit of kimchi on there, and you put a, a pepper, and then you put a garlic and <laughs> some uh, you know bean paste, and then you just wrap it on one thing, and you're like, it's the perfect bite every time. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Like I don't know <laughs> why did I never think of that. So I, I've been loving like any dish where you would wrap it in like lettuce or. Uh, or um, you know a nori or something like that, and eat it like as one package. It's so good. Yeah. Oh, I like I was looking at your Instagram like earlier this past weekend, uh-huh. and I noticed that you had a marketing campaign where you ate noodles <laughs> every single day until the <laughs> launch of your book. <laughs> and I, I just marketing. wondering, like, where did you get that idea? And did your editors think that you were crazy? <laughs> The word marketing campaign made it makes it sound so much cooler than it is. It's, um, I ate noodles. But, you know, I follow a lot of people on Instagram who eat noodles uh, or, or eat food in general. A lot of Japanese, Korean, uh, Vietnamese people um, that that eat food. I just like watching. Again, I'm going to this is going to it always sounds creepy when I say it, but I like watching people eat. You know, I, I like the I like when when someone would like make this huge lettuce wrap and just the whole thing in one bite or something. Um, and so one day I was just at a, a, a noodle restaurant and I was like, I'm going to film myself eating this noodle because I wanted to be like the, uh, that that Instagram. And I ate the noodle and I put it online and I just wrote, hey, I'm going to eat a, a, a bowl of noodle every week until my book comes out. And I think at that time my book was coming out in like, I don't know, I had like, um, it was like three months or something like that. So uh, a little bit more than three months. So I said, okay, that, that's not, that's totally doable. And then my friend Derek, who I have, um, so my friend Derek, I, I also met with uh, Gene. So me, Gene, Derek, Jason, and we're all friends. And I have a re- kind of a friendly rivalry with Derek because we both think that we're Gene Yang's best friend. <laughs> I, I think I'm Gene Yang's best friend and he thinks he's Gene Yang's best friend. So he wrote on my Instagram, he wrote, he wrote, uh, a noodle a, a week? What about every day? Why can't you do that every day? And I was like, oh, Derek Kirk Kim, of course I'm going to do it every day now. <laughs> you know, of course I'm not going to let him, I'm not going to let him challenge me like that. So I, uh, I started eating it every day and recording it. And at first I was like, I, I wasn't worried because there was still 95 days. So I was like, 95 days of eating noodles is a lot. But don't worry. My publicist, at the at, or my marketing people at uh, at at at, com, at that first second are going to be like this is the stupid idea, Tin. You gotta stop. But they didn't. <laughs> they told me they're like this is ingenious. Keep going. And I was like, oh no. And then uh, and then everywhere I would go, I would go to a bookstore uh, for like a talk or something, and they would be like, hey, I saw you doing that noodle thing. Keep doing it. I'm so into it. I'm like, oh no. So then I was like resigned to eating noodles every day for 95 days. Um, I eat noodles every day anyways. Like I just had noodles just now. I, I didn't even have to. I eat noodles all the time. Like I love noodles. I, you know, we all, I, I can eat noodles. I can eat noodles every meal if I, I really wanted to. Um, the, the, the whole thing was just the, the filming and editing. That part was a little stressful. But, but eating the noodles was fun. Yeah. And it, it, it like a lot of people really enjoyed me eating noodles. Uh, so I, I was happy that that was a good thing. Because I would have eaten those noodles anyways. 
I mean, it it really drummed up enthusiasm for your book, you know, (laughs) 96 days of just being like, I'm eating noodles. By the way, buy my book. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I was trying to eat. I was trying to different eat all different types of noodles. I was trying to go for like some pastas. I looked up all the different noodle dishes. You know, like other than Asian noodles, I, I Italian noodles, and um, was kind of the only one. There was there was a Greek one that I still got to try. Um, that's like more of a like a like a lasagna type of noodle. Um, but I try to go different different types of noodles, uh, preparations and stuff like that. So I try to have as many as I could. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Do you still like noodles? Because I know sometimes when you make something you love into a job, it kind of loses its, uh, you know, nah, your I, passion for I it. Still, I still love it so much. <laughs> I still love it so much. <laughs> I But I also, through this, I also gained love for a lot of different noodle dishes that I had never really eaten before. Like the Korean cold noodles. Oh my god, Nengmyeon. Oh my goodness. Oh They're god. like it's my favorite. so <laughs> good. Like I don't know why I've never had it before. It is amazing. Especially on a hot day. I had it and I was like, this is so good. How did it get so much flavor into this broth without the fat just congealing when it's cold, you know? It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm, I was floored. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah, so things like that. I, 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 and I, yeah, I still love it. So what did your family think after reading your book? Like, were they just like, did you get, it's like, I don't think you got the details right. Or um, (laughs) were they just like, oh, you forgot, you forgot to add this or you uh, got this detail wrong. Um, My family are, uh, they love it. My, my parents, you know, like as Asian parents, when I told them that I was going to be an artist and that I was going to draw comics. They were like, okay, you know, like they were at that point that I had beaten down, beaten them down enough that they were like, you know what, do whatever. We were tired. Just do whatever. Try to try to, you know, be a contributing member to society, you know. And um, so even though I have had comics published before and stuff, they were always kind of like, oh, it's okay. But now since it's a comic about them, they love it. (laughs) Um, They also are like when you hear stories from them. They'll like argue themselves. Like my, my dad will be like, that's not how it happened. It happened like this. And my mom will be like, no, you're wrong. This is how it happened. And uh, so they themselves are like, you know, the, not, you know, perfect record keepers or anything like that. So um, when when I, I w- they were reading my book online and my they, they just love it, you know. And I, um, I of course, I portrayed them in, in uh, you know, because I'm right now I'm just, like when I look at them now, I'm just like, these people are like heroes, you know? So like, so they, they really like it. And, but it, they didn't really think it was a big deal. Even though the book was coming out, I had like some articles that I sent them and all these things. I sent them all these things, trying to get them to think that I, like I'm a big deal. But they were just like, oh, whatever. Until the other day, out of nowhere, uh, the, the Vietnamese cable network. Of course. Uh, <laughs> That, 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 you know, like Vietnamese, only like, you know, like Vietnamese people subscribe to uh, news had a, a, a little thing about me. And as soon as that happened, uh, and, and mind you, like I had already had like all these reviews and stuff I had sent them. But as soon as that, that, that clip on Saigon News Broadcasting <laughs> Network hit, my, everyone was like, my parents were like, 
I'm so proud of you. You're the best <laughs> son. They like they were like, we're gonna have a dinner for you. We're inviting like you gotta come over. We have all these books for you to sign because because you know like everybody I know wants a book signed by you now. And now finally, <laughs> because of Saigon Broadcasting News, like I'm finally like a success in their eyes. <laughs> that is. That's not an uncommon story of all the artists <laughs> yeah, and authors we talked to. Definitely, I know that's the, the but that's the best. I was yeah. like, that's the pinnacle. I said anything from here now. Honestly, to me, having I know this is gonna sound cheesy, but having my parents like be so into it and be proud of me like this is 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 the pinnacle of 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 life to me. Really, <laughs> you know, like this book could you know however better this book does or whatever it does. It's just going to be gravy on top. I mean, I I think it's uh you know it's an Asian kid thing. I'm just I'm just so <laughs> happy that my parents are are proud. You know. Yeah. Well, the book is family style. It's available now at booksellers everywhere. Um, congratulations on on getting this out there, getting it published. Oh man, <laughs> thank you so much, you all. This has been such a fun conversation. I hope I didn't talk too much. I know, you're uh, great. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you guys were great. Thank yeah. you so much for everything. Thank you for joining us. Right. And that was Tin Pham, the author and illustrator of Family Style, uh, Memories of an American from Vietnam. Um, available now at bookstores everywhere, um, including, as always, the Books and Bobo Bookshop. Um, if you purchase books from our online bookstore, um, you not only support your local bookstores, but also the Books and Bubble podcast as well. So uh, please check it out by going to our website at booksandbubble.com. And another reminder that you can also support the podcast by um, subscribing to our Patreon. Uh, Patreon subscribers get access to our members-only Discord, as well as access to our monthly bonus episode, Boba Chats, if you subscribe at the $5 a month level. So thank you to all of our current patrons, and we hope to see more of you there soon. Yeah, I mean, if you... If you look at our Discord, we recently had a fierce battle in our Asian <laughs> noms thread where all of our inner food snobs came out and, you know, we we fought over what's, uh, if Din Tai Fung is actually good. And we have a pretty fun time in our Discord, so <laughs> check it out. <laughs> Reaver and I are both on the yes, it is good side, so um, everyone else is wrong. <laughs> I wouldn't, okay, I... It, it is a very nuanced topic. I feel like it depends on the location you're you're eating at and like how busy it is. But uh, I digress. But yeah. it's a really fun uh, Discord. So if you guys are interested in joining, you know we talk more about books. Uh, we talk outside of books. We talk about video games, food, obviously, and yeah, would love to hear more thoughts on our current book club pick as well. Yeah. Speaking of our book club picks, um, Rira, can you remind us what we are reading for the month of July? Yeah, so we are reading Imaginary Lives of James Poneke by Tina Maccaretti. And it is a book that follows a Maori boy who becomes a living exhibit in an artist show in Victorian London. By night, he explores the city and he soon turns his critical gaze on the self-proclaimed civilized. So this is going to be a book that goes into colonization and just like how shitty it is. Yeah, I mean, it takes place during um, Victorian England, so at the height of the, the British Empire. Uh, yeah, I was like the shittiest time of, uh, of colonization. Yeah. Yeah, so looking forward to discussing that with you um, at the end of the month, um, which is at this point probably in a week. 
As always, if you already finished the book, please let us know your thoughts on our Goodreads forums or our Discord server. Um, we always love to include thoughts from our audience um, in our discussions whenever possible. So with that, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thank you once again to Tian Fam for chatting with us. And um, we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Rayu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Sharon. Hey, Remen. How are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like two decades into the 21st century. Yeah. And second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Remen and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah, Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs, writers. Folks who are black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. Past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lun Yang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority. Modern Minorities.